Mark chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. As he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This discussion of Jesus is called by most the Olivet Discourse, and it's because most of the conversation happens on the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus is doing this teaching. And the Mount of Olives is right across from the hill, you, they, they say. You can see the temple from that mountain. Jesus liked to go there to pray. In fact, he was pl- praying on this mountain the night that he was betrayed. And Judas knew he frequented there so much, he knew exactly where to tell the chief priests and the authorities to f- where to find Jesus. So he's on this mountain looking at the city, and of course he's just prophesied that Jerusalem and its temple would be destroyed. And so, this inner circle of disciples plus one, these are the original disciples, the first ones to follow him, gather with him and they ask him, when is this going to happen? How will we know? What's the sign? Well, what I want to say about this kind of literature, what we're entering into in Mark is called apocalyptic literature. It's a way of speaking and talking in Israel that's very, very important. Apocalyptic comes from the Greek word apocalypto, which means to reveal. So when we're talking about future prophecies, when we're talking about end times, when we're talking about this sort of stuff, we're talking about apocalyptic literature. And it's a feature of Jewish thinking and writing and prophecy. We see it in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. It's in Joel. It's in Zephaniah. It's in Zechariah. It's all through the First Testament, especially in the prophets. And in the Gospels, it's here too. Jesus engages in this kind of conversation in the Olivet Discourse. Probably the most popular apocalyptic text in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. But there are apocalyptic passages in many texts. Thessalonians comes to mind as well. And what I want to say about apocalyptic literature is that it's usually prompted by something. It's almost always prompted by fear. Anxiety. And that's what we have here in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has just prophesied the worst possible thing that he could prophesy for the disciples, the destruction of the temple. That's the heart of their worship. It's the only place they knew they could go and pray to God and be heard. It's the place where they made their sacrifices so they could be forgiven of their sins. If any, This was their connection with God. And Jesus says, not one stone is going to be left on top of another. Can you imagine what that must have done to them? Their whole world is turning upside down. And so, of course, they come to Jesus and they say, Tell us, when is this going to happen? How will we know? Is it soon? Is it later? Are we going to be alive when it happens? Jesus, help us out. And Jesus begins to speak apocalyptically. Apocalyptic literature for the Hebrew people was meant to be an inoculation against despair. It is meant to be an inoculation against despair. Apocalyptic literature is the way that the Hebrew people found hope in the midst of the darkest of times. 
And God sent them prophets to tell them what was ahead for exactly this purpose, so that they would not lose hope, so that they would not despair. And I want to say this, because I think this is Jesus' line of sight. He realizes that the prophecy he's just made, that the temple would be destroyed, is probably the most terrifying thing his disciples could have possibly imagined, because it meant the end of their culture. It meant the end of their religion. It meant the end of who they were, as far as they could tell. And he's just told them it's going to happen, and they are terrified. And so what Jesus is doing in these verses is trying to help them to have hope. And so he speaks of the future to give them hope. And yet he recognizes that in that space of anxiety that he has created with this terrible prophecy, they will become vulnerable to false prophets, to false messiahs, to false saviors, who when they are fearful will tell them, trust me, I will save you. False prophets, false messiahs, and false saviors, they prey on our fears. Jesus highlights three susceptibilities in these verses that might be preyed upon. He identifies our fear of loss, our fear of conflict, violence, and our fear of nature in these verses. Let's look first at our fear of loss. Look at chapter 13. I've been going over this again and again, but here I'm going to do it again. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Rather than answering their question, right, he anticipates a danger of what's just happened. Beware your fear of loss. Loss is an enormous contributor to anxiety. That unpleasant unknown is terrifying. And often our instinct, when we find ourselves in that space, is to do one of two things. To look past it, or to look back at better days. Apocalyptic literature in the Bible, it resists those coping mechanisms of looking past the darkness or looking back to better times. Apocalyptic literature, and Jesus does it here. He says, let's not look past it, let's not look back, let's look it square in the eye and talk about what it looks like to live there. That's apocalyptic literature. It, it resists the coping mechanism that would have us flee our fears. And it looks directly at the most terrifying aspects of future uncertainty. And yet, at the same time, to look for God at, the, at work in the midst of the darkness. In other words, the goal of apocalyptic prophecy is not to terrify us, but to encourage us. Not to lie to us and say the future is going to be great, but to tell us no matter how dark it gets, God is on the throne. I mean, what could be worse for the Jewish people than the destruction of the temple? And Jesus warned that in the wake of that destruction, they will all become susceptible to those who would prey upon their fears. Fear can be a powerful motivator. And our fear of loss 
our fear of losing our jobs, our homes, our families, our health, just like the disciples were fearing the loss of their culture and their religion, can make us susceptible to those who would promise us, not that God will be with us through it, but that God will rescue us from it. We have to be careful when we hear those voices. Jesus says, do not be deceived. Beware your fear of loss. The second is beware your fear of conflict. Look at verses 6 through the beginning of verse 8. Many will come in my name and say, the actual Greek here says, and say, I am, which is probably the name of God. They'll pretend to be coming in God's name. And they'll lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The true terror of armed conflict and violence is real and visceral. Jesus seems to have recognized that the fear we have of being personally harmed will make us particularly susceptible to false prophets and to false messiahs. And so he assures his disciples that these things must happen. In fact, it is God's will that the space in which they happen exist. And because they must happen, they don't need to lead us into mass panic or running for the prophets who will tell us when Jesus will come and rescue us from it. Panic and fear of bodily harm has and always will make humanity susceptible to despair. And desperation is the playing field of the con artist. Your fear will make you make terrible decisions. It might even justify disobedience to God out of your fear of personal harm. Our fear of loss and our fear of violence can make us susceptible to those who would promise salvation. It can make us susceptible to the tempter who would convince us that there are good reasons to disobey God. In times of imminent loss or imminent attack, we must begin to learn to trust the providence of God. Beware your fear of loss. Beware your fear of violence. And finally, beware your fear of nature. Verse 8 says there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Natural disasters are terrifying to anticipate and horrific to live through. And even today, it seems they conjure up prophecies of the end of days. And for Jesus, again, in the wake of these sorts of devastations, he reminds us that we will be vulnerable to despair, that we will be filled with fear, and that those who prey on those things will take advantage if we live in that space. Our fear of loss and our fear of violence and our fear of nature can make us susceptible to those who would promise salvation. And so in times of imminent loss or imminent attack or violence of nature, we must trust the providence of God. So what am I saying here? Why are we getting into all this? Why is Jesus getting into this with his disciples? I mean, does this mean then that followers of Jesus are sort of indifferent and apathetic? They just sit back and say, well, let whatever happens happen. Say la vie, such is life. Well, jumping ahead a little, we didn't read these verses, but we will throughout this series. You can, if you have your Bibles open, I'll just point you to them. 
In verse 10, Jesus reminds His disciples that despite the fact that these things are happening, the gospel still must be declared to all nations. In verse 14, He says sometimes His people will have to flee for their lives, and they should do that. In verse 20, He says that God will not allow these times of trial to be too long, that their faith would be extinguished. And in verse 37, Jesus reminds them to stay alert and continue doing God's will no matter what happens. All of those assurances are meant to encourage Jesus' disciples to keep doing the work of the kingdom, no matter the upheaval around them. Is it getting dark? Sure. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep being ethical. Keep being faithful. Keep raising your children according to godly principles. Keep praying. Just keep being the people of God. The world is going to go crazy around you, but you will be the steadying point of the culture. You will stay faithful. You will not be rattled by the things that happen. And when Jesus does come, which He's going to tell us, He doesn't even know when it is, only the Father. That verse is coming. We'll preach on it soon. But when He does come, He'll find you doing what you should have been doing all along. He won't find you looking at the stars or reading the signs or writing out maps or figuring out when. He'll find you being faithful, being gracious, being forgiving. And God will care for you. That doesn't mean that the darkness won't descend, but He will care for you. And when He comes, what He wants to find is not you ready with your backpack because you read the signs, right? Sitting in a field going, come and get me, God! He wants you working in the slums, helping people who are starving. He wants you forgiving those who are hurting you. He wants you being ethical. He wants you working for your boss with discipline and hardworking. He wants you to be faithful people. And when He comes, whenever it is, you must be ready. Not with your bag packed, but doing the work of the kingdom. All of these assurances are meant to encourage Jesus' disciples to keep doing the work of the kingdom no matter what happens around them. Trusting that history ultimately is in the hands of a loving God. And that no matter how it looks, all of this will be redeemed. If we know that, we need not fear. And if we fear, we do not know it. We may believe it, but we don't know it. False prophets and false messiahs prey on our panic, on our anxiety, on our fear. Jesus' response to all of this, and it's very simple. It's what the whole sermon today has been about. Jesus' response to all of that is, Trust me and stay faithful. Do not let the terror of your times cause you to sacrifice your faithfulness to me out of fear. Trust me and be faithful. You will find, as I think I'm finding, that a huge portion of the sins we justify in the church have to do with protecting ourselves. Things will not always be easy. But God will always be on the throne. Things may even get worse than you imagine. But you should not have to be afraid. Because even if things get worse than you ever imagined they would, if you remain faithful, you have nothing to fear. Nothing! Because God is on the throne. And He will strengthen you to your times. You may not feel capable of facing what you might face in your life right now, but you will be able to face it if you're faithful, because He will be with you. If you believe that, you have nothing to fear. 
You need no Savior other than Jesus. You need no prophet to discern the times for you and tell you for certain when Jesus is going to come back and you get to escape. You don't need it. You need only the gospel of Jesus to guide you. And whatever happens, whatever happens, even the worst thing you could imagine, there is nothing He cannot redeem. Your world is not hinged on what happens in the world. That's what resurrection does for us. And so Jesus is encouraging His disciples. You know what I'm most afraid of, folks? He says to His disciples... It's not that you'll go through hard times. It's not that you'll, you'll go through spaces in which you have doubt. What I'm worried is that you will, you will put your trust in false prophets and messiahs in that space. That when you're terrified, you'll put your faith in someone who cannot save you. And you'll give them things that they should not have. And you'll put your faith there. And you'll become idolaters. And the one who can really rescue you will be lost to you. That's my fear of that space. Not your suffering. But those who would prey on you. Don't give your faith to anyone but Jesus.